0: We're going to have a lot of Scripture, but the text is going to be in Romans chapter 1. But before you start looking, this is God's Word for me today. The title of my message this morning is, Without Excuses. Or excuse. Without excuse. And, and as I was thinking about this, um, very early in the Scripture, Way back in Genesis, there was a man and a woman in the Garden of Eden. And Adam and Eve were put in the Garden of Eden, and God said, Man, look at this place. It's awesome. It's all yours. Now, my wife and I have talked about how, you know, our dream would be to own a piece of property out somewhere where we could have a pond, and Lamont could come over and fish in my pond, as long as he didn't catch all my fish. But... But he's been good to me, so he... he like, but anyway, and you know, the perfect scenario, we could, we could actually have a house for each one of our kids on this big property, and, you know, it'd just be this perfect scenario, right? <laughs> well, my kids don't think it would be so perfect, but but my, Lisa and I kind of think that'd be great. But anyway, um, so God put Adam and Eve in this perfect place. He gave them everything they could ever want, right? All the food, all everything they could ever want, except, he said, don't eat of that one tree. And so we know the story, and blah, blah, blah. So, so all of a sudden, God comes down to walk with Adam, like he does all the time. And God comes down, and, and Adam is not in his normal place. And God says, Adam, where are you? And he says, I'm over here. He, he says... Well, why are you hiding? Well, because I'm naked. And God says, who told you? You were naked. Did you eat of that tree? Well, the first excuse, my wife, the woman you gave me, always a woman to the blame. she always gets the blame. That woman that you gave me, gave me and I ate. And she says, well, that serpent, he beguiled me, or he tricked me, or he and I ate. So right off, we see the excuses start. And God just says, oh, I understand. Yeah, I, I understand now. I, it's totally... No, God says, well, because of that. So the excuse is the point I'm getting at this morning. The excuse was not acceptable to God. Now, any of you that have kids or any of you women that have husbands, you've heard all the excuses. We used to have a guy at work and he was late quite often. And we just always thought, couldn't wait to hear the latest excuse. One time he got up too early. That was one that lived on forever. He got up too early. Said why he was late for work. So anyway, excuses. Benjamin Franklin says this. He that is good at making excuses is seldom good for anything else. You see, I think too often we as humans would rather come up with an excuse than simply take the heat for what we have done. Romans chapter 1, verses 16 through 20 is our text this morning. It says, For I am not ashamed of the gospel... For it is the power of God for salvation to everyone who believes, to the Jew first and also to the Greek. For in it the righteousness of God is revealed from faith to faith. As it is written, the righteous shall live by excuses. No, by faith. Let's pray. Lord, thank you for your word. God, it is awesome. And I am, I am amazed every time I read it and, and my eyes are open and, 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 and Lord, I'm in wonder of, of you. And, and so God, this morning, may that wonder drive us to experience you in a greater way. And I thank you for that in Jesus' name. Amen. You see, today, as we live our lives, we, we find that so many people have an excuse of why they don't submit to the righteousness of God. They don't submit to the grace and the mercy of Jesus Christ that paid the price for our sins. They, they have a reason, and, and you know, I, I've heard this excuse and I find it funny. Well, kind of, but not. Well, I don't go to church because I had to go to church when I was a kid. And I've heard that, you know, you you, you hear people say they heard that, but I heard I've heard that from people's very own mouths, and, and I'm like, really? Well, I was forced to eat as a kid. Yeah, I still do. And, you know, I was forced to do a lot of things as a kid. And I'm thankful that I was because it taught me a lot. But I was also forced to go to church when I was a kid. Lamont, I think you got forced to go to church when you was a kid, didn't you? And i I tell you, there's a lot of people in here, and I say, thank you, Jesus. And I had a mom who cared enough about me that didn't give me the option on Sunday morning of whether or not I was going to get up and go to church. And a dad who, even though he didn't go to church, said, it don't matter, you're going with your mama. Because in my life, and do I, did it all, was it always fun? Was it always a party at church? Was, was I bored sometimes? Yes. Uh, we can either lie or we can be honest. Sometimes it wasn't fun and sometimes I got convicted because I knew I wasn't living right. Sometimes, But what I do as I look back now is I think, say, thank you, Jesus, that my mama cared enough about me to make me go to church because it was the opportunities that I went to church that I got to hear about Jesus. It was those opportunities when I got to respond to him. And it was those seeds that were planted at a young age. My wife and I were talking this week as we're planting seeds in this church in the lives of of young people and, and even older people. We don't know that those seeds might be the only seeds that ever get planted. And it may take 20 years or 30 years, or 40 years, but someday down the road that seed may get watered, and may get fertilized, and it may begin to grow, and it all stems back from our faithfulness. You know, because sometimes we get discouraged because we don't see the fruit. Sometimes we get discouraged because, and my wife and I, we've, we've moaned about this too. Well, we, planted, we planted all those seeds. All those seeds. And then it just takes one person to come up and say, Man, I remember you as having you as a Sunday school teacher. And now I'm serving the Lord as well. And you realize it's not about you, it's about the gospel. It's about planting those seeds. And maybe you don't see the fruit now, and maybe you don't see the fruit next week or next month or next year. But that's no excuse not to plant. That's no excuse to say, "Well, I'm too busy to plant. I'm too busy to teach. I'm too busy to sing in the worship. I'm too busy. To... I'm too busy. I'm too busy," and you're going to miss out. You see, we live in a day when there's so many excuses for people not wanting to serve the Lord, and not. And I'm not talking about just calling themselves Christians. I'm talking about really serving the Lord and submitting to his plan and submitting to his purpose. Well, you don't know what it was like when I was a kid I got I was you know I was abused I, I'm not making light of that at all because I know that that happens and it's the saddest thing I can ever imagine. but it's still no excuse for not giving it to him because if you can give it to him, he wants to take that pain and he wants to use it for his glory and to help each one of us. You see, there's no will be no acceptable excuse when you stand before God. There will be nothing that you can say that will change what has transpired. Because the Bible teaches us either your name's in the book or it isn't. And you will not stand before God on that day and get Him to change it because it's already taken care of. So this morning I want to go through some things that will help us to realize that we will have no excuse when we stand before God. The first thing is creation itself. Is there anything more beautiful than that sunset at night? You're driving down the road. We were coming home from Quincy the other night, and it's just the whole skyline, not a cloud in the sky, just beautiful orange out in the distance. It's just beautiful. And you get up in the morning and you see that beautiful sunrise. And you see the stars at night. And even the storm, the thunder, and the lightning, it all points to the the Creator God that we can't deny. I believe that the Bible teaches us that there are those who deny it, but they are foolish in denying that there's a God. Psalm chapter 19, verses 1 through 4. The heavens declare the glory of God. And the sky above proclaims his handiwork. Day to day pours out speech and night to night reveals knowledge. There is no speech nor are there words whose voice is not heard. Their voice goes out through all the earth and their words to the end of the world. In them he has set a tent for the sun. The creation of God, when we look at the creation of God, it is so amazing. And we can realize, and it screams out to us, there is a God. There is a God. They can try to teach evolution all they want to, and they're going to convince a lot of people, but they're never going to convince God that he's not the creator. And that's what's important, is God. As as Christians... I'm not telling you to get in fights and arguments and all that, but what I'm saying is you, we need to be determined that God is your creator of this world, and I will never let anyone convince me otherwise. I will never let anyone take that away from my children. My children come home and want to talk about evolution. I'm going to point them right back to God. Say, so you want to know what happened and how this came to be? It's right here in the Word, in the beginning, God created the heavens and the earth. You see, the enemy, the devil, doesn't need to get us to completely disbelieve the, the Bible. He just needs to begin to plant doubt in us about the Bible. How do you think so many of our Christian kids go away to secular universities? Now, I'm not saying not to send your kid to secular university. That's not what I'm saying. But I'm saying if our kids don't go and aren't solid in their faith, when they get there, they're going to do everything in their power to convince them that this thing is a bunch of garbage. They don't have to convince them of the whole book. They just got to begin to eat away at their faith. Well, is creation really true? Well, maybe that part isn't true. Maybe maybe the rest of it. Well, is did Jonah really get swallowed by a big fish? Was there really a flood? All they need to do is begin to plant doubt. We need to stand on this. I believe Jonah got swallowed by a big fish. It may have been a whale. It may have been a big fish. I don't know. But it was big enough to swallow a man. It was big enough for him to live in there for three days. I believe that there was a flood. I I just recently read that uh, again and over... uh, I was telling Lisa last night, you know, as you read back through the Bible, you, you, you put key, every time you do it, you put more pieces together. That's why I encourage you to just read as much as you can. Just love reading the Word. But, but I believe that the Bible is true. And the devil doesn't have to get us to not believe the whole thing. He just needs to plant doubt. And creation is one area where he wants to plant doubt. We need to look around us and see what God has created, and trust in Him. Another thing that points to God and, and that we can have no excuses is God has built within each one of us passions. We, you know, I, I know who I am. God has, has shown me who I am. And God has, has, has helped me to understand the plan and the purpose that He has for me. He has helped me with my, my belief system. And he has helped me with my attitudes. Uh, he sometimes he has to help me a lot, <laughs> but you know, um, and and understanding that as a Christian, that he has a plan and a purpose, and and the Holy Spirit, as he leads me, helped me to understand that, and the things God has led me in, and the things that God has helped me with, and and then then I think about, you know, um, different groups of people and how they have. They, have, they, they come together like people tend to come together, right? When I go to a, a, a work thing, I've talked about before, there's a group of Christians that I work with. So where do I want to find myself when I go? In that same little group. Because I, I know the conversations, what they're going to be like. A lot of times they're about church. I know what things are going to be, happen and take place. But but people with with the same types of belief systems are going to come together. We we desire freedom, but the kind of freedom that we need can only be found by knowing the truth of Christ. We as people, there's, there's something within every human that God has built to desire freedom. Nobody wants to be bound by anything, by another person, or by a habit, or by a situation. Nobody wants to be bound. We all desire freedom. But God has built within us that the only way we can experience true freedom is the truth of Jesus Christ, and whom the sun sets free is free indeed. And whether that be from bondage of sin, or bondage from, from things in this life, or, or whatever kind of bondage that is, that true freedom can only be found in Christ. We all have a conscience. Now, we may think some people don't. Oh, man. But at one time, I can tell you, they probably had a conscience. And it probably bothered them when they did something wrong. But the Bible talks to us about the fact that our conscience can be seared. If we continue to turn that thing off, every time the, the Holy Spirit comes knocking at our door... We say, ah, not now. Come back later. And the more often we do that, the less sensitive we are. You see, our conscience is that thing God has given us that helps us to stay on the right path. We know and we feel it when we do something wrong. Even a child, you can see it in their eyes when they do something and they look around, you know, We, uh, we see and we understand our sinfulness because of our conscience and the Holy Spirit leading our conscience. But we also see the righteousness of Jesus. We, and, I kind of, and this morning as we, kind of, as we were during worship, that, that was kind of coming out, recognizing who we are and recognizing who He is. I think we need to do that, and as we do that, we will understand there's no excuse for not trusting in him. When we really recognize who he is, we will have no excuse to not trust him. But see, the enemy has lied to us for so long about who he is, about who God is, and about who we are. How many have ever felt, and you don't have to raise your hand, but ever felt that they were completely unworthy of anybody's love? I think probably each one of us has at some time. Why? Because we had done something or we have said something or we have lived in such a way or it's just been the, the oppression of the enemy that has completely told us we're worthless. But when we recognize who we are in light of Jesus Christ, we have no excuse not to turn to Him because He says you're valuable. He says you're so valuable that I would give my life for you. And I believe if Jesus could... And if Jesus needed to, he would stand in your place again today. And he would look you in the eye and say, listen, Lamont, you're a rascal, but I love you so much. I'm dying for you. And he would stand before each one of us this morning and he would say, I know your past. I know your future. I know your present. And I'm dying for you that you could have a chance. You can have a chance. And when we recognize that, we will have no excuse. Romans chapter 2, verses 14 through 16 says this, For when Gentiles who do not have the law by nature do what the law requires, they are a law to themselves, even though they do not have the law. They show that the work of the law is written on their hearts, while their conscience also bears witness and their conflicting thoughts accuse or even excuse them on that day when, according to my gospel, God judges the secrets of men by Christ Jesus. See, even those who aren't saved have some sort of conscience when they know they've done something wrong. They know they may not submit to him and ask for forgiveness, but even those who don't know Jesus... No, when they've done something wrong. So how much more we as Christians recognize that the Holy Spirit is constantly, constantly trying to keep us where we ought to be by knocking on our heart. We call that our conscience, speaking to us and saying, listen, I've got a better plan for you than that. I've got a better way for you to act than that. I've got way more for you than that if you will just follow my leading. Another thing that helps us to understand that we will have no excuse, we find in Romans chapter 6, verse 23, for the wages of sin is death, but the free gift of God is eternal life in Christ Jesus our Lord. The free gift. You see, the Bible is very clear. In Romans, we have several scriptures, and we call them Romans Road because it's a path that leads to Christ. And here in this part of that, it tells us, for the wages of sin is death, but the free gift of God is eternal life. When we stand before God, we will not be able to say, well, I... There was no way for me. It's just the way it was. But God will say, I gave you the gift of eternal life, and you refused to take it. You know, we go to a birthday party for one of the grandkids, and it's kind of hard to keep all the other grandkids out of gifts. You know, they all want to open presents. And not only do they want to open them, but it seems like as soon as one is open, it walks off somehow with one of the other. And that's not their gift. But when those gifts are open, they usually get touched and handled and played with, right? And how sad, have you ever given somebody a gift and they open it up and they look at it and they're like, thank you. (laughs) Next. I've done that before. I'm not a great gift giver. Flowers is usually a pretty good thing, though. But anyway... God says, listen, I have given you a free gift. You just need to take it and open it and use it. So you're not going to be able to stand before God and say, well, I didn't ever get it. I never got the opportunity. He's going to say, but I gave you the free gift. The next thing, and I love this one. He also gave us the road map. Romans 10, 9 through 13, another part of the Romans road says... Bestowing his riches on all who call on him, for everyone who calls on the name of the Lord will be saved. You see, the Bible teaches us we have a road map. I've uh, back my wife and I've talked about this. We we keep an atlas an atlas in our car. Why you got GPS right? Yeah, but we love to get the atlas out and actually look at it when we're driving. Well, I don't look at it while I'm driving. She looks at it while I'm driving. And, and we'll get the Atlas out. Why? Because it's a road map. And, and GPS will tell you turn right at the next turn. But it's, for us, it's fun not just to see the next turn, but to see the map. And to see where you're going and to see what's in between here and there and, and, and to kind of get the excitement to build of, of the, of the trip and, and the process. Well, see, God has given us a roadmap to follow. And, and it's not just about just, oh, give me one, you know, I gotta sit here and I wait for every day for God to tell me to get up and go to work. No, you don't have, no. But you the roadmap tells us you do your part and God will do his part. You get up and you put your trust in him. You confess him with your mouth and you live with him, for him in your heart and and, and and along the path, he will show you. And he will lead you and he will give you a bigger picture as you begin, as you open this up. And as you read, no, it doesn't tell you everything. It doesn't tell you what tomorrow holds necessarily. But what it gives you is a guide for what God is going to do. A guide that God is going to lead you and he's going to direct you and he's going to put people in your path. And, and you're going to have good days and you're going to have bad days. You're going to have, you know, you're going to have the mountaintop and you're going to have the valley. It says all that in here. Why would he tell us that if he didn't want us to know ahead of time? That's what's great about the Atlas. It, it shows you know, all the different things, and, and you see it and, and it's fun. But when we stand before God, we, we won't be able to say, Well, I had no idea how to get there from here. I didn't know what road to take. I didn't, because he has given us a road map to follow for our life. See, we need to admit that we are sinners and can't save ourselves. We have to come to the realization that I am not good enough to go to heaven. I can't do it. We have to believe in Christ, that He paid the price. We have to confess Him as our personal Savior and ask Him to come in. And, and I like this. Not only do we need to ask Him to come in, but we need to ask Him and give Him permission to make changes. Have you ever got on your computer and you're, you're downloading something and it says, do you give this whatever permission to make changes in your computer? I usually hit no real fast because I think I probably messed something up. I don't want it to make changes. How often do we do that to God? I want to be a Christian. I want I want to call myself a Christian. I want to go to heaven and and yet we don't want God to come in and make any changes because we kind of like it the way it is. We like the old, you know, whatever the old operating system was. We like Windows 95. <laughs> we don't want him to make any changes because we're comfortable. You know, when you get that new Windows program and you get, you, you try to bring up Microsoft Word and you can't find it anywhere? You get comfortable with the way things are. But God wants to come in and he wants to make some changes in you, brother. <laughs> He says, come on now, i got some better things. Why does he want to make changes? Because he's got something better. Because he wants to lead you in a new direction because it's better. Not because he wants you to be nervous and anxious about, you know, the next thing. But because he's got something better. And so we need to give him permission not only to come in, but to begin to do in us what we need to have Him do so that we can be more like Him, so we can be more the person He wants us to be, so so we can affect the world around us in a better way. I don't just want to be the same old that I was before. I want to have have an effect on people. And so we need to let Him come in, and we need to let Him make the changes that He wants to make. Another thing that I see in this Scripture is He has provided us with the victory that we need. Romans chapter 8, verses 31 through 37. What then shall we say to these things? Now listen, if God is for us, who can be against us? He who did not spare his own son, but gave him up for us all, how will he not also with him graciously give us all things? Who shall bring any charges against God's elect? It is God who justifies. You know, let's stop right there for a second. You know, if you have kids and somebody's coming against one of your kids, they're going to have to go through you, right? No, I'm not talking about if they were bad in school and the teacher, you know, when the teacher says, hey, they were bad, you don't say, oh, no, not my kid. My kid's perfect. Or it must be you, teacher. That's not what I'm talking about. We got too much of that going on today. Anyway, I won't go there. That's not even a subject for this morning. But, but anyway, but when, when somebody's coming against one of yours, you're going you're to stand in the gap, aren't you? That's what this scripture is saying. Listen, it is God. You're God's elect. If the devil's going to come against you, he's going to have to come against God first. Who is to condemn? Christ Jesus is the one who died. More than that who was raised. More than that who is at the right hand of God. More than that who is indeed interceding for us. Come on now. Jesus Christ right now is interceding for you and for me at the right hand of God. What power can the enemy have over you? And yet sometimes we are so afraid or oh, so afraid to do anything because of the, the devil has got us shaking in our boots. And yet the Bible teaches us we don't have an excuse because Scripture tells us if we're God's chosen children that Jesus Christ himself is making intercession for us. And no weapon formed against us shall prosper. Who shall separate us from the love of Christ? Shall tribulation? No. Or distress? No. Or persecution? No. Or famine? Or nakedness? Or danger? Or sword? No, no, no. As it is written, For your sake we are being killed all the day long. We are regarded as sheep to be slaughtered. No, in all these things we are more than conquerors, through Him who loves us. You see, we're going we're gonna to stand before God someday. Every person is going to get their meeting with God. And the excuse, well, I just couldn't get the victory. You don't have to get the victory. He's got the victory. Stand in it. Walk in it. Live in it. Put your faith in the Christ who has already won not an excuse. God gives us the capacity to conquer. God gives us the ability to triumph. Why? Because Jesus Christ has already won, and He is our Savior. If we put our trust in Him, we don't have to fear what the enemy can do, because Jesus Christ has won the victory. You see, we know and we realize and we recognize that from time to time we are going to stumble. But the Bible also tells us that when we do and we confess it to Him, He cleanses us once again. The next thing I want us to see in this path of no excuses is the cross of Calvary. Because Christ's sacrifice on the cross is not just something that we read about in our Bible, but it's something that's a historical fact. It's something that was written down 2,000 years ago, not just by the Christians, but by historical record. You see, as we think about that event, and, and I want you to understand in your life and in mine, that event is the most important event of all time. I believe that in our lives, the most important decision we will ever make is not who we will marry or where we will work. Those are big decisions. I made a good one. I think most of you did too. But the most important decision we will ever make is to trust Jesus Christ with our salvation, to give our lives to Him because everything else is going to burn away every other decision that we make in this life will, if it's not in, in the avenue of Christ, will be gone. My wife and I talk about this a lot. We, we'd love to spend eternity as husband and wife, but I, I don't see that in Scripture. <laughs> it says we'll be known as we were known. But it also says there will be no marriage or giving in marriage and blah, blah, blah. So we might just have to be content that I know she's a beautiful gal and I knew her from somewhere. And she'd know me as this handsome prince, you know, but I don't know. I don't know, but what I do know, what I do know, is that because of the cross of Calvary, I can live forever. Because of what Jesus Christ did, every person on this earth has the opportunity to live forever. And I will not be able to stand on that day and say, well, there was just no way. God will just simply say, well, my son paid for it and you didn't live in it. 2 Corinthians chapter 5, verse 21 says this, For our sake he made him to be sin who knew no sin, so that in him we might become the righteousness of God. He took all of our sin. He didn't, he didn't become a sinner. There's some bad theology there. He never became a sinner But he took on all of our sin so that we didn't have to bear it. So that we didn't have to die in it. So that we didn't have to go to eternity in hell because of it. So we will have no excuse when we stand before him because the cross of Calvary Calvary paid the price. Jesus took on himself all the sin of the world, both the past, the present, and the future, at that moment, so that those who would trust in Him, He would be their sin bearer, and He would take that sin to the cross. And and the wrath of God, can you imagine, the wrath of God for sin was poured out on His own Son. The wrath of God for your sin and my sin was poured out on the Son of God. I don't know how many of you have saw the Passion of the Christ, whether you have or whether you haven't. It's a bloody, gory, beastly scene. But if you can bear to watch it, you can see what the wrath of God for sin looks like. And you can realize that The innocent took on the punishment for the guilty. The innocent took on the punishment for you and I. So that we will have no excuse when we stand before God. The price has been paid. I think you all have heard me say it so many times and it's just as true. I love the church. I love this church. I love the church. I love, I love fellowshipping. I love worshipping. When I go to those Southern Gospel concerts, I'm just in with a big bunch of church. People from all faiths, even Baptists. Come on now. And Catholics. There's a lot of Catholics in them places. And Methodists. Usually some of them aren't as loud as some of the rest of us. They say, any of the Catholics in there? And they're like, any Pentecostals in here? You know, the last one we were at, I think my wife and I were among the very few. And and the guy asked for Pentecostals. And, of course, we got Pentecostal. And he says, it don't take very many of them, does it? (laughs) It didn't hurt my feelings a bit. They have fun. We're all just a church worshiping the Lord. I love being in that atmosphere. I love being able to go to someplace where people don't care about what church you came from. They just want to worship the Lord together. They just want to celebrate Jesus. And, 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 and I love the church for that reason. I, I don't love it in the way of, well, I'm part of the church, so... Uh, I'm. No, I love it because I love to be around people that want to worship Jesus. And I love being around people that their heart is pure. You know, we go to some of those things and we sit and talk to people that we don't know. And it's amazing the way God works in your conversation and the things that get brought out and the encouragement you get from from other Christians. You don't know them. You'll never see them again. But they can speak a word into your life that brings encouragement. That's one of the things I love about the church. We encourage one another. We pray for one another. And it's not just here around the altar. We, we At home, at night, you got people praying for you. And the Lord may bring you to their mind. Your ugly mug might pop up and they think it's a nightmare. But no, they just want you to pray for the pastor. God just wants you to pray for the pastor. And it's awesome to be a part. And because we're a part and we understand that, we will realize that we won't be able to stand before God and say, God, I didn't have nobody care cared about me. Well, how long has it been since you've been at church? <laughs> how long has it been since you called one of your brothers or sisters in the Lord and said, hey, can, can you pray for me? How long has it been since you fellowshiped a little bit with other Christians? Well, you know, they're just so judgmental. They're hypocrites. Well, there are hypocrites at Walmart. And they're judging you every time you go anywhere. Let me tell you what. God is the judge. But I'd a lot rather have a brother or sister down here on this earth tell me something I'm doing wrong so that I can fix it instead of standing before God and he said, depart from me. You had the opportunity, but you didn't let anybody speak into your life. I don't like anybody telling me my faults. It's hard enough when my sweet wife does. It's hard. It's hard when she tells me something I need to straighten out. And at the moment, I don't like it, but I know, I know, I know it's for my own good. How much more when you sit amongst a bunch of brothers and sisters when they say, hey, listen, I see something happening and I just think we need to talk about it. Instead of bristling up, we need to say, thank you, Jesus, somebody loves me enough. Thank you, Jesus, somebody sees me as somebody that's worthy of possibly making them mad but because we love one another. That's why I love the church. I love the church because I grew up watching people pray fervently for me. I watched people pray uh, for, every, for other people and just, just love on one another in a way that couldn't happen unless they were Christians. And because of that, we won't have an excuse Matthew 16, 18, And I tell you, you are Peter, and on this rock I will build my church, and the gates of hell shall not prevail against it. I believe that the church is important to God. We are the bride of Christ. You see, the church has has survived many attempts to wipe it out. Back in the early church, the Roman emperor Nero tried to wipe it out. Other emperors tried to wipe it out. Other people tried to wipe it out. The Christian faith. But guess what? The scripture says, the gates of hell, Jesus Christ told Peter, said no matter what the world does, it won't defeat the church. Because the church is living an active part of Christ himself. I'm going to end with this one. God's authority. Ecclesiastes, I went out to visit my Aunt Marge this morning. She's not doing well. She's probably going to pass. So I went out there, and I, I, I sat beside her, and her Bible sitting there on the bed. I said, well, Marge, what scripture do you like? And her daughter said, Ecclesiastes, and I was shocked. Ecclesiastes would not be the first book I would tell somebody to read. I'm just, just getting it out there. But they said she likes Ecclesiastes chapter 3. And guess, lo and behold, yes, her Bible was marked at Ecclesiastes chapter 3. And her daughter told me, she said, I tried to read it to her this morning, Terry, but I couldn't. So I picked it up. And wrapped up in Ecclesiastes chapter 3, it says there's a time to live and a time to die. A time to plant and a time to harvest. All kinds of just beautiful imagery, one of the most uplifting things. Scriptures in Ecclesiastes is found right there. Ecclesiastes is a tough book, but in Ecclesiastes chapter 12, verses 13 and 14, get this. The end of the matter, all has been heard. Fear God and keep His commandments, for this is the whole duty of man. Come on now. Fear God and keep His commandments. For God will bring every deed into judgment with every secret thing, whether good or evil. Now listen, everything. The commandments are beneficial, but necessary to show that all people will be held accountable to God, their thoughts, words, and actions. Why do we love the scripture? Because it teaches us and it shows us that God is the authority. We have authorities in this life and we're supposed to obey the rules, right? We're supposed to... You know, we're supposed to drive the speed limit or close to it. Uh, uh, (laughs) we're, We're supposed to abide by the rules of the land, correct? But in anything, God's authority is over man's authority. And when it's written in the book, it's authoritative over no matter what rules and laws man wants to make, they will never come in authority over God's rules and God's laws. And God's rules and God's laws are there so that we as humans... Can find our way back to Him. As Solomon says here in Ecclesiastes, God's a final authority. It stops there. The pastor isn't the final authority. I'm not going to decide whether or not you make it into heaven. I'm not going to judge you on that day. God's a final authority. We will have no excuse because we can't blame our brother. We can't say, well, the pastor led me astray on that. I'm not perfect. But I hope if I say something that I shouldn't, that one of my awesome board members or one of my faithful church family will say, Pastor, you need to talk. We need to talk. Because I believe in that. But you won't be able to blame me on that day. Even if I did say something I shouldn't have. Even if I did lead you down. You won't be able to blame me. God will. God will hold me accountable. But you won't. He will say, "No, it's not about. It's about you." Well, but God, this, this, and this—you know—I I had a rough life. No, it's not about that. God will be the final authority. So this morning, and I don't know why this sermon. I don't. I don't know, but it, it flowed a lot with some of the things I, I've, I've, that's been happening. But understanding that we need to take ownership of our relationship with Jesus. We need to take ownership of our faith. We need to take ownership of our eternity because God's the final authority and we will have no excuse. He's provided everything we need. He's provided everything we need to live a victorious Christian life and to see Him in eternity. But it's up to us to follow it. Bow your heads, if you will, this morning. Lord, I thank you for your Holy Spirit who leads in ways we don't understand. And so this morning, Lord, I believe that in this place, in this room, there are some that just needed to hear this message. And maybe we've been making excuses for why we haven't been living the way we should. Maybe we've been making excuses why we haven't been hanging out with the church folk, or maybe we've been making excuses why we haven't been able to do this and haven't done that and haven't served you the way we should for whatever reason. But this morning, Lord, we recognize there are no excuses. And we will stand before you without excuse. And so, Lord, if we need to make something right this morning, I pray that we would be able to do that before we leave. Lord, maybe there are even some in here this morning that haven't, Walk down Roman's Road, haven't recognized their need of a Savior, haven't recognized you as a Savior, have, haven't asked you to forgive them of their sins. And Lord, if they're here this morning, I pray that today would be the day when they make that decision to follow you. And Lord, maybe here in this place this morning, there are some of us who recognize that we have been making excuses for not living up to the standard that you have called us to live up to. And we as well, Lord, this morning can make a decision and ask you to forgive us for that. And we can renew our trust in you and our walk with you and walk out of here, Lord, changed because of your Holy Spirit. With your heads bowed and eyes closed this morning. And like I said before, our decision to follow Christ is the most important decision we will ever make. It's the only one that will follow us into eternity. So if you're here this morning and you would say, Pastor, I need, to, I need to give my life to Christ. I want it Today I want to ask Him to forgive me of my sin, and I want to put my faith in Him, and I want to serve Him. If that's you and you would like me to pray with you, I would just ask that you would raise your hand and I will be glad to pray with you. We can make that right this morning. Would there be one? would say, Pastor, that's me. But also this morning, if you fit into the other category, if you would say, Pastor, I've been making excuses and I'm tired of it. But this morning I'm coming clean with God. It's me. I need to come clean. It's my fault. I need to make it right. And I'm going to walk out of here today having made it right with him. No more excuses. If that's you, I want you to raise your hand. I want to pray with you as we close this service. Yes. Yes, thank you for those hands. Thank you very much for your honesty this morning. Let's stand. Hallelujah. Hallelujah. I just want you to to tell God all about it this morning. He already knows, but He is longing to hear it. Lord, this morning as we close this service, I thank you that your Holy Spirit has pointed us in the direction of you. I thank you, Lord, that your Holy Spirit has showed us in our life that we have been making excuses where we should have been trusting you. We are making excuses where we should have been following you. We are making excuses where we should have been living our life in accordance with your plan and your purpose. Lord, that, that you are now today, we are going to recognize that you are in control. And we give it to you, Lord. We say, I'm sorry, Lord. I repent for my attitude. I repent, Lord, for my excuses. And I recognize I am giving it to you today. And Lord, as I do that, I will walk out of here free. And I will walk out of here, Lord, allowing you to lead me down that path. Lord, I thank you for those who raised their hand this morning and recognized their need to submit to you stop the excuses, and start following your plan. And so Lord, as we go today, go with us in all your glory and all your power. And we thank you for it in Jesus' name. Amen. God bless you guys.